morning, afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than a Stand-Up. I'm Brent Lamont. Joining me today in our conversation about how agile is not what you call it, I have two friends in the pod. This is our first time together, which is kind of cool because between the two of them, they've got like 20 episodes, and this is the first time I've got the two of them together. I've got Justin Chrysostomo, who comes from the Enablement Operations, Agile Operations at ISBN team at SAP. Hello, Justin. How are you? I'm doing well, Brent. How are you? I'm always great because I'm sitting here talking to you. And also Michael Basil, who is Cloud Ops at SAP Field Glass. Michael, it's always good to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It's always great to be uh, to be here with you as well. Of course. So today the conversation is about how agile isn't what you call it. And when we were first talking about this, it was about how you can do all the events and check all the boxes and not be very agile or not do all of those things and be very agile. And so we've kind of had this conversation in a couple different episodes, but it's this one, I think it's more of a walk me through it. Justin, walk me through how you can say you're agile and you're not agile at all. So absolutely. I think if, uh, you know, I take an example from a past life of mine, um, I, I had a team that I was, I managed, I wasn't the scrum master, I was a dev manager and they did everything exactly how you would expect it, right? They were on two week sprints. So they, they adjusted their time boxes accordingly. They held sprint planning every single time. They did everything they, that you would on paper want a scrum team to do. Uh, and they were constantly not completing work. They were constantly leaving things on the table. Um, they were being interrupt driven with bugs. And it came down to the fact that they didn't really believe in what they were doing. Um, and by that, what I, what I mean by that is they'd go into sprint planning and just say, yeah, those are the stories we're taking versus what does that really mean? How are we going to attack this problem? Um, let's diagram this out. Let's document it up front in sprint planning so that when we get to it, we're better able to, to deal with it. Or uh, this thing has come in and it's interrupt driven. How do we, what do we kick out? They didn't believe that they could. They didn't feel empowered that they could. And so they just ended up going forward and every sprint, uh, I'm sorry, every uh, daily scrum was, uh, yesterday I worked on a new thing. <laughs> Today I hope to finish that thing. I'm blocked by this new thing that just came in my inbox today. Um, and so they were doing the, they were, they're going through the motions, but they weren't believing that the framework could uh, help them if they really believed in it. Okay. Basil. Thoughts? Yeah. As you're, as, as, yeah, as you were, Justin, as you were saying that, like it, it reminded me of, you know, when I'm, when I'm on a team and we were, we've been called, uh, technology some of our group and field has been called butterfly chasers by project manager patricia project manager and i i think that's fitting because i think that's what i think that's a another way of saying like we can be very interrupt driven you know and um it's like oh here's a new shiny thing or here's a problem to solve and like we have these amazing abilities to like solve problems but it, where's the priority and so what i think happens is teams can be really good or really bad, you know, or maybe not so great at like doing the ceremonies in the air, floating around. But if they're not grounded to like focusing in on what matters to help prioritize which butterflies to chase and when to chase them, then I think we've really missed the purpose. And so I know a team is, yeah. 
is at risk of this if there's they're not even thinking about what are the quality metrics that matter to our customers, to our stakeholders, you know, and not just what we want to chase around or what what who's screaming the loudest. And so I, I think there's a there needs to be an anchoring um, that has to happen, or you know, even the the best you know choreography of 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 Scrum or Agile is 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 not serving the, the organization or the person's interest of a, of a dev team member. So I'm going to ask the question, do you think that that lies at the foot of the product owner? Is that the chasing of butterflies? Do you think that lies at the product owner's feet? Do you think that lies at the team's feet? Do you think that lies at the stakeholder's feet? Or is it a shared responsibility that no one seems to be able to focus where we need to be, so we're just going to go chase butterflies? In a, in a command and control structure, it would be like... <laughs> The boss. It's the boss. It's the boss's fault in a command right. and control structure. In a command of team structure, so I think there's more responsibility on the, the commanding group, right? In like you know, it depends on where you are and like what topology you want to to run with. But like a more fluid team of teams approach, I think it's a complete shared uh, accountability. Um, I think uh, you know a lot of teams, the product owner does have more influence to uh, or ability maybe to to solve it quicker. But I think maybe that's not always the best idea. Sometimes it's better to let the team flounder around until they realize they're splashing around in the water, getting nowhere. Um, and that's a, a lesson we all have to learn in life. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's, a, I, but I think in a, I like democratic structures more than autocratic. So, you know, I, I would say it's shared. Okay. Justin, thoughts about all of that? Yeah, I agree that it's shared. And if we look to the, the doing versus being thing uh, that we were discussing before, the, the framework, and I'm going to talk about Scrum predominantly because it is the, the market share, right? So Scrum gives you the tools to not have to chase butterflies. Or if you're being asked to chase butterflies, to communicate that and show the impact of the butterfly chasing. However, if you're not if you're not making use of or good use of those tools within the framework, then it's on you as a team member, as an IC, as a product owner, as a scrum master, as a stakeholder, or as a manager or leader, right? It, they're, they're, they're there, they're there for a reason, not, un, not understanding what those, how those tools work and why to use them is, is on the person. Uh, it's not on the tool itself. Right. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I, I agree. I think, I think, my hypothesis, and you can see this from where I spend my time researching on the side of, like, so where I think the the problem lies is, um, I think there's a lot of people in our ecosystems that are almost aggressive, like really forward, and like can speak up and tell it like it is, like in a in a maybe a kind of an aggressive approach, and then there's people that are very passive. And there's more, probably more of them, but the the middle way is where we need more people and more often to be assertive and and to understand like they no blame doesn't matter how it got here who who is responsible and capable of improving the situation if that's me instead of whining about it maybe I can do something maybe some, maybe I model a behavior and some other people also do it right stepping into the problem and so that's a 
I think there's an element when you get into these teams of inherently when you put scrum frameworks and those they're designed maybe to help coach, you know, kind of do assertiveness training for the group. So they work through conflict and, and prioritize things and don't chase things around and let weird politics and affinities and cliques rule, rule all, right? Well, I think it's also a thing that we talked about in the introverts and extroverts series is that you have to be able to meet each of them where they are. And, you know, you have the exoverts, right, who can't decide if they're introverts or they're extroverts. You have to be able to meet all pieces of that conversation where they can add value to the team. I mean, at the end of the day, it is are you delivering value to your customers and your stakeholders? And is the team in a good space where they're doing it? Right. So yeah. Uh, question about all of this is that, you know, one thing that we talked about when we were pre-recording is walk me through the difference between a scrum master who's just starting out or a coach who's just starting as a coach and how they work with a team versus someone who's got a, and the difference between say a new team and a uh, existing team, like how do you balance all of those things out? Because you could be stepping on landmines left, right, and center when you just start working with a team. I'm going to go Basil first. Yeah, I think, I think a less experienced coach is coming in trying to install something and it's like they they have this new system they've learned and they believe in it and they they start to think the system can work in any situation and they they just they haven't um but as you become more experienced you realize well even when i'm coaching everything is a learning opportunity and then like i have to to be successful as a coach, everyone else has to be successful, more successful than they were before I got here, right? So a coach has to be a multiplier. And then you, you have to, you see that strong coaches start to figure out, like they, they continually like, seek to understand, they, they try to find empathy. They, they figure out how to know when to like mediate situations versus like providing some boundaries. And, and there's just like, it looks like an art if you don't know what they're if you're unfamiliar with it, but it, it's very systematic. And um, I, I believe, and I believe that's why you see like even in sports, like the strongest coaches, they can succeed in different uh, situations and different organizations. And they can, they can last through a long period of time and have sustained success with different characters coming in and coming out because they're empathetic, because they're they, they, they realize they're going to fail and fail and fail until the team, you know, learns and, and succeeds. And they, they accept all those steps back and the slowdowns and the failures as, as just part of the experience. They're not expecting perfection. They're not expecting a perfect choreography. Yeah. I'd like to touch on um, the phrase you use, Michael, which was installing something. And yes, absolutely. New scrum masters, new coaches, they have something to install and more to the point, I think more, more, more specifically, they have a brand of that something to install. Right. Um, and that's the brand that they've been trained on. That's the brand that they know. That's the brand they know they can get support for. So they, they ignore anything that doesn't have that brand name. On it. And they miss the fact that what might be there when they got there is exactly the same thing they're trying to implement under a different brand name that they don't recognize. Right. So 
you know, you roll, you roll in as a scrum master and say Kanban, and you don't recognize that the board on the wall over there is a Kanban board. Or you roll in as a scrum master and you say velocity, and you don't recognize that the line graph over there on the other wall is how they track their, their burn down, right? It's not what you think it, it's not what you say it is, but it is what you think it is. And that brings us kind of full circle into the agile isn't what you call it, it's what you do and what results from it, right? And so I think that's, that's a pitfall for new agilists um, overall. Is this, as I'm hearing it again, is this, so you, you focus on the installs, it's like, I think of it as like installing agile versus instilling principles associated with agile, right? So if my mission is to instill principles associated with agile, then I don't worry about the branding, yeah, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's what gets you there, right? And I, I agree that it's the, if you can- It's keep, a great tool, yeah. Yeah, if you can keep that concept and you say, what's the outcome we want? Are we moving closer to that outcome or farther away from that outcome? Um, you don't need to install anything. Uh, it, you need to inquire, right? You need to keep you need to keep a line of inquiry open, both from you to the team as well as the team members to you to be safe and asking. I do this thing, or you know, I we we use small, medium, and large. Do you know of a better way, right? And then you can start talking about the brand that you're trained in, which is Fibonacci scale. And if you're smart enough, you'll also talk about well, maybe a logarithmic scale works better for you guys. Or at the, the strategic level you're at, t-shirt sizing is 100% right. But if all you come in with is, I was trained in using a Fibonacci scale to estimate story points, and that's what I'm going to install when I get here, uh, that's, I think, where you're going to really fall down. Okay, so we're going to wrap up this part of the conversation. Join us, not in the next episode, because that's episode 100, and that's special. And probably not episode 101, because that's also special. <laughs> This will be in a couple episodes. We're going to continue this conversation. And until that conversation, I'm Brent. I'm Justin. I'm Michael. Until the next iteration, you give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Shoot us an email at info at fasterthanastandup.com or you can find us on Twitter at Faster Standup. Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than a Standup. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.